Thank you for taking the time to listen to this life-changing message from the ministry of Faith Bible Chapel. We hope this message will encourage you in all parts of your life. At the end of this message, you will hear more information on how to contact our church family, as well as directions for you to visit us for any of our worship services. Until then, join us for the service in progress. We're continuing our series, Summer at Faith, together as we continue to go through the book of Ephesians. And Pastor Jason opened us up so well last week about how it is to be marked for God, the maturity that is in our life. And as we continue in Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to talk about what does that look like to have a life that is reflectant of that maturity. What are the things that we should see in our lives and what are the things we should stay away from our lives that we feel and we reflect who Jesus is. And so I want you, if you got your Bibles, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 17 through 32. But we're going to start in verse 17 and work our way through it this morning. And verse 17 starts with this. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. Now it's interesting that he opens up with that because he doesn't just say, hey listen, I got something for you. He goes, hey, I'm telling you this, but then I also insist on the Lord. Has anyone ever had someone come to them and insist on something so much that you're like, I get it. It's the greatest ice cream in the world. No? Okay. Here, let me give you a story. My wife and I were at Home Depot the other day, and we were looking for some gardening tools. And I love tools, but I'll tell you this, I have pledged my life to DeWalt. DeWalt is my brand. It's how I'm going to go. And I'm looking at some of the tools, and this guy from Ryobi walks over. And I was like, all right, buddy, you're already in a losing battle. And he's like, oh, you're DeWalt, yeah, you're going to look at those, yeah. And so he starts telling me about Ryobi and how it's better. And I was like, I understand, but I've already got all the batteries and I got all the things. This is the way I want to go. And he just kept going. And he kept going. Pretty soon, he was just letting me know that these tools were the greatest tools on the face of the earth. And I was like, bro, I like tools, but you are passionate. (laughs) And that's what Paul's trying to say. As Paul writes this, when he says, I insist on the Lord or in the Lord, he's trying to get them to pay attention. This one's a big one. I want you to understand. I want you to pay attention. Because he goes on to say, so I tell you this, I insist on the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do. And Paul's writing this letter to a church. So he's first of all writing to believers. And we have to remember that the original church, the first church, the first leaders of the church are Jewish believers. And so as he writes and he says this statement, it means two things. One, he is writing so that the Jewish leaders understand because they know I'm Jewish, this is what a Gentile is, don't live in this way anymore. But also, Paul is letting them know that if you have come from that Gentile life, because we are Gentiles, we're not Jewish, and we come from that Gentile life, and we become believers in Jesus, it doesn't make us Jewish, but it puts us in that that life of living after Jesus that do not look to the Gentile way anymore. So it's that specific, don't look to the world, don't look to the people who do not call upon Jesus as their Savior. Stop doing that. Because he says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. 
As he starts to write this letter, here's the thing we have to digest. This is not written to non-believers. This is written to people who call upon the name of Jesus. And so Paul is highlighting that he has seen things in that church, in believers, in us today, that he's saying you need to stop it. Stop living that way. Stop thinking, but that is the way that you should be living. You have to change. You have to let God make a difference in your life. And I know that there are times that when we become new believers, I was a new believer at one point, others have become new believers, and we have this struggle of sometimes saying, ah, but I, I love Jesus and I'm trying my best, but I really like doing this. And maybe we don't know yet or we don't understand and we have to learn about it. And that's one of the most important things about Paul writing this letter to the church is that we as a church should be, first of all, encouraging to each other, but also should be helping one another in understanding who God is. I'm going to tell you this. This may blow your mind. It is not the church's job all the time to tell you about God. It is your relationship with God and his scriptures that help you daily. Now, I don't know if you like me or not, but I doubt you want me showing up at your house every day being like, all right, ready for a sermon? Some of you are like, well, maybe. I'm like, sorry, my, wife, my wife's already got me. You don't get me. Anyways, <laughs> you don't want me showing up. That's not, what he, that's not what we're going for. What we're going for is that our lives every day become reflectant upon who he is. And so things have to change in our life to be able to do that. And the first thing that has to change in order for us to do that is our very first point, and it says this. Let God change your minds. Let God and his scripture change your minds about the things that are in our life. Let him change how you look at things, you picture things. You have to look at it and say, we are a church that comes together and they can empower me, they can help me grow, they can help me walk through these things of life. There is such a significance to being a church together. There's such a significance of having small groups together. Because I can tell you, I have had seasons in my life that no matter the amount of schooling I had, I was not prepared. Anyone had one of those before? You go to school, you got a degree in it, you're ready, something happens, and you're like, I, 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 I don't know. And I've found that when I'm in small groups or I'm in prayer groups or I'm a part of a church, I start to tell people what I'm going through, and all of a sudden, I find someone that has gone through it before me. I find someone that knows someone, or I find someone that's been through something similar, and we start to encourage each other. We start to change each other's minds about what we are facing and what we can be. And so we have to let God change our minds. And Paul is saying that. Don't go back to those ways. Don't think because you've accepted Jesus, you still keep doing this. Change who you are. Become reflectant of who Jesus is. Because we know that when we learn about God and he starts to work in our minds, he starts to also change our hearts. And when God starts to change our hearts, an even significant, more significant change can start to happen. So I want you guys to come with me to Ephesians 20. 22 or 4 20 and 22 and it says this that however he's continuing is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance 
with the truth that is in Jesus. So here he is again. Remember, your mind has to change. You've been taught, which means we come together here to be encouraged, but we also get together to continue to learn about who God is. And what I love about this is I'm in a small group on Wednesday nights. Shout out to a small group on Wednesday nights. My people have deserted me. No, I'm joking. I'm in a small group on Wednesday nights. That was my shout out. And I love being in that group. This last uh, couple weeks ago, there's a man in our group and we were talking about what it means to know God, to have a relationship with God. And we're talking about scripture and the significance of scripture and we're talking about memorizing scripture. And after that meeting, he felt inspired and he left and he started studying scripture and trying to memorize one scripture a week. And he came back and said, man, I found it so helpful that during the day when I'm frustrated or I'm just, I got a quiet moment, I just think in my mind and go back to that scripture and I try and remember it. I keep trying to memorize it. And can I tell you, it has made a difference in my life because I'm thinking about God more than I'm thinking about anything else. When our minds change, we find our minds go to places that are healthy, that are life-giving, and that are able to sustain us in those times that we are challenged. But then it also goes on to say, we were taught with regards of your former ways of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Which brings us to point number two. You gotta let God change your desires. Your desires are the things that God has put in you, but there are also desires that we get in this world. There are desires we want in achievements in life, we want desires for our family. We want desires in our jobs. We have these desires of houses we want to own, cars we want to own, clothes we want to do. We have these desires. And so here's something I want you to do this week. I'm going to give you some homework. So hopefully you bring it and turn it in next week. But this is what I want you to do. I want you to go home this week, and at some time this week, I want you to just sit down. I want you to write down all the desires you have, all the things you want to achieve, all the things that you want to have. And then I want you to put that list aside and I want you to take a moment and pray. And then I want you to write down all the things that you think God has as a desire of his heart. And I want you to put the two lists next to each other. How many of them will overlap? How many of them will look the same? Because as our desires change, our hearts change. I remember when I started coming to this church, I've been going to this church since I was about 19, 20 years old. And I've been in church most of my life. Not going to lie, there's a couple years in there that I didn't go to church. Please forgive me, but I'm here. And I remember when I came back to church, and I remember seeing passionate people about Jesus. And my heart and my desires in my life started to change. I was like, man, I desire, I want to heal people. I want to see lives changed. I want to have the freedom that they have. I want to see freedom for other people. I want to have a heart that's softer to those in need. I want to have a heart for people who don't know who that is. And the only way that I could gather that desire was to be around the people who desired the same thing. And so I had to turn away from the things that I used to desire. I had to change the way I viewed things. I had to change my thinking. I had to change my desires. And I can tell you to this day, I have yet to regret ever chasing after the desires of God's heart. And that's what we want to do as a church, and that's what we want to do as believers, is that we continually chase after the desires of God's heart. But then he continues on in 23 and 24, and he says this, to be made new 
in the attitude of your minds. So there it is. The minds start to change. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, we get to become new, and that's your next point. You will become new when you chase the desires and the mind of God. You get to put on a new self. And I always picture this when it comes to a new self. Last time I got to preach, I talked about, gentlemen, when your wife tries on clothes and she walks out of the room, what are you supposed to do? Right? I hope you took that advice and you've held on to it. But as I was thinking about this, put on a new self, I was thinking about how I try on a pair of pants. And I don't know if you guys all do this, but this is how I do it. I, I'll get a pair of pants, I'll put them on. First thing I do, check. Does, does the waist fit comfortable? Right? Two, are they not mid-shin? All right? The struggle is real for someone like me. I have tried on pants and gotten to here, and I'm like, well, maybe I'll start a new look. Then once you get those on, you got to do check number three. Oh, right. All right. Things look good. Right. Then you got to check, does it move? You give it a little, give it a little kick. Then you got to do a little squat. You're like, okay, the jeans fit. They feel good. And normally, a lot of times when you go shopping, you go shopping with others, correct? You go with your spouse. You go with a friend. Have you ever had that moment that when you're like walking out and you're like, I look good. I feel good. You walk out and you go, what do they think? And they're like, that looks terrible. <laughs> Your self-confidence just plummets. You're like, oh, I thought I finally found a pair of good jeans. And you walk back in and you're like, but I feel like I look good. I feel like the change. Uh, I have a story I want to show you. This happened to me with my wife when we were in Germany visiting some friends. Um, it is difficult to find clothes in my size. And let me, know, let me tell you, Germans are big people. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. They have tall people in Germany. So they carry larger jeans and clothes, which is great. So if you ever are tall like me, go to Germany. <laughs> Just saying. So I'm trying on clothes. And I do it. And I, I put on a pair of skinny jeans. First time I'd ever found skinny jeans that were in this size. And I was stoked. And I walk out and my wife's like, But to her credit, all I'd ever found were jeans that were like this wide on the leg. So to see the actual size of my leg, she was like, that's weird. But not in a bad way. Don't take it that way. But there's that moment when you try something new, the first time people see it, it can be jarring. It can be different. It can be like, whoa, what was that? When you put on your new self, I'm telling you, you're going to face people in this world that are going to say, ooh, I don't like that about you. You used to be fun. You used to go out and do this. You used to talk in this way. You used to use words. Now you don't use them anymore. I don't know how I feel about you. And that can feel defeating. But here's why I'm going to tell you this. Because this is why the church exists. We come here to encourage each other and say, no, those jeans look good. Jesus looks good on you. That life change looks good on you. That language change looks good on you. That stuff you're not looking at on the internet anymore, that looks good on you. Because we put on a new self, we literally will become new people. Our minds change, our hearts change, our desires change, our language changes. We become new. And so Paul's trying to tell these believers, hey, listen, you've called upon God and said it's his name. Start looking like Jesus. Stop looking like the world. Don't, don't go in these gray areas and be like, well, Jesus says we shouldn't do this, but I like doing this. Stop it. Chase after who God is. 
Because let me tell you, there are plenty of people in this room. I get that we could walk together and we all can share experiences and encourage each other and make us stronger as a church. One of my goals for this church is that we become someone that leaves that lasting effect on the world when we become new people. And let me encourage you in this. It is not others' responsibilities to be good Christians for you. Okay? It is not someone else's responsibility to fulfill your destiny with God. It is not something where you just come to church and say, I'm here. Oh, there's outreach? That's their job. No, no. Or we're all called to do that. Let me give you a great story of this. Uh, there's this young girl, and she had to get her flu shot. Any doctors in the house ever given these shots to kids where they don't want needles? Who loves needles? Put your hand down. No one does. All right? So she goes in the office. They put her up on the table. She's got to get her shot. Mom's sitting next to her. She's so nervous. Doctor comes in. He's got the needle. He's ready to give the shot, and he says to the young girl, what, what arm do you want the shot in? She's like, my mom's. <laughs> when it comes to our life with Jesus, we don't look to others and say, it's theirs. If I call upon Jesus, start living the life of Jesus. Don't look to others to be the good Christian for you. Become new. Let your life change, and you will become that new person. They did a poll recently. I was with my small group. We were watching this uh, video from Pastor J.D. Greer, and they are talking about this poll they just did. And they polled Americans, acro Americans across America. That makes sense. All right. They <laughs> polled Christians across America, and they asked them this question. If you don't go to church, can you still be a good Christian? 81% of the people answered yes. Ladies and gentlemen, we cannot become new being by ourselves. Can I tell you something? I'm my, I'm my own worst influence. When I get by myself and I do it my way, it's not good. But when I get around other believers and I'm encouraged and I walk that walk and I love Jesus, it changes. Our life changes. And so let your life be made new by the encouragement of others around you. So once we change our heart, once we change our minds, once we become a new creation, that new thing. He goes on to say in verse 25, he says this. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. I love this verse because it brings up some memories for me. I've been in church, like I said, most of my life. There are plenty of things that I've had people tell me that are in the truth that were not loving. That hurt more than it helped. And here's the thing about truth. As Paul writes this, first of all, remember, he's writing to believers. So he's not saying go correct everyone. He's saying there are times you're going to have to speak with truth to one another as believers. But here's the thing I know about truth. There's a couple things I know about truth. Number one is, you know, your point number four, truth without love is judgment. If I walked up to you today not really knowing you and said, hey, that shirt, terrible. Don't ever wear that to church again. Hey, those pants, don't wear that here. Hey, the way you look, don't do that. The way you, you're not going to look at me and be like, well, thanks for the great advice. You're going to be like, who are you to tell me? But the other thing is this. There's a quote, and I love this quote, and it's from a pastor, and it says this from Pastor Warner. Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is hypocrisy. Our goal is to love people, but our goal is to lead them to the truth. Notice the word, lead not tell and just correct. Here's the thing, I love John Maxwell. 
John Maxwell, I love his leadership styles. He has a lot of great leadership pieces. And one of his leadership pieces is how you deal with people. And I'm going to summarize one of his pieces for you. And here's what it is. His saying is this. Add value before you add input to people's life. Add value to people. Love them. Walk with them. Go through things with them before you start telling them this is where you're supposed to live. Because here's the thing, if someone's new to knowing God, they don't know everything about him. But they will know as much as we love. Does that make sense? If I love them and show them God, they're going to know a loving God. If I only show them a correcting, rule-following, this is the truth God, that's all they're going to know. And so our heart is that we would be loving with the truth, but that we would add input, or excuse me, no, we would add value before we add input. And let me tell you something, adding input doesn't always mean you're adding value. Add love first, and then add that input of correction, because we need it. We all need correction in our life, because I can tell you this, I've had these experiences, and maybe you can raise your hand and go with me. If someone walks up to you, and they say these phrases, you know it's coming. How do you want to ever walk up to you and go, oh, with all due respect? <laughs> to be honest with you, don't take this in the wrong way. There's a character in a movie I love that he's talking to people, and he just says the most outrageous things to people, like they're, they're hurtful. But every time he says it, he'll say, with all due respect. And so finally someone says to him, you can't say with all due respect and then say something mean. That's not okay. And he goes, yeah, it is because I said with all due respect. We can do that sometimes as believers and walk up to people and say, you can do this, you can't do this, you can wear this, you can't do that. And all of a sudden, their image of Christianity is not about God. It's about you and how you treated them. So let's add a value to people's life. So then we have the right to add input. Remember that those values, those things that we add to people are life values that can change their lives. People poured in values into my life so that I could be the person that I am today. But the second thing I know about truth, this is point number five, truth should be spoken to help bring unity, not division. That when I speak truth, I'm speaking it in love so that I can bring unity to your life and unity in our believers in the body of believers. It's bringing unity of people together. It is not to cause division. Now, there are times where we will have to call truth and it will not be agreed upon and there will be a sense of we don't agree, but it should not come to the point where we drive people away from Jesus. Because if I remember correctly in the Bible, the harshest truths that Jesus gave were to the religious and he extended the love to those who were not religious. He drove people to love him so he could give them input. So our truths, our understandings should not be about creating disunity. It should be unity and not division. Christianity is not always about being right. It's about being righteous. Which means when I talk about righteous, it means you are morally right. You are justified. That you have a life that reflects who God is. You can't add value to someone and say live like Jesus if you're not living like Jesus. Listen to me. If you claim that Jesus is your savior, man, you should wake up excited every day to live a life for Jesus because people will see that. But if you're not excited to live for Jesus, people aren't going to see that you love Jesus. If I'm going to add input, 
I'm going to change lives. I'm going to let them have a new mind, a new heart, that i got to show them Jesus. That means i got to wake up every morning chasing after his heart, trying to find the things that he has for us. Because back in verse 24, it says, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is what I want you to know about truth and holiness. Point number six, holiness is not just saying no to sin. It's saying yes to God. Holiness is not following the rules. We love God, and then when we find God, we say yes to him. So when we're talking about our holiness, when we're talking about living for him, it is not about just saying no to sin and following the rules. It's saying yes to God. Because we see in Ephesians 4, 26 through 31, he says, in your anger, he starts to talk about how we should act. In our anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with their own hands that they may have someone to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for the building up of others according to their needs, that may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice." Here he just lays out the list. Don't be like this. And that's how we can feel sometimes in Christianity. It's like, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. But if you look at the scripture, every correction he gives is followed up by a positive. Don't steal, get a job. Don't be angry, don't let it go on on your anger. Don't do these things. He always follows these up with don't do this, but do this. Has anyone ever been around an extremely negative person before? Man, how much life does that breathe into you? Here's the thing. As believers, as soon as something negative is happening, and it's hard, I get it. I've had those seasons where it's just, you can't be anything but negative because it's so hard. But what if we took that and we just looked for the positive? When we changed our lives, it's actually better. When I stop doing this, it's better. When I start getting this in order, it's better versus the sa- how hard it is to sacrifice. Because I can tell you, the long-term goal is always better than the short-term reward. And as we go after God, I'm more interested in the long-term goal than the short-term reward. There's a speaker. Um, his name is, um, spacing it out right now, Ron Bonke, there it is. And he does um, rallies and crusades and campaigns in, in Africa. And he'll have thousands, I'm talking hundreds of thousands show up to his rallies. And he has asked one time, why do you do it? And this has stuck with me ever since I've heard it. He said, the reason I do it is because I want to make hell empty and heaven full. That is our church. That is our heart, that we would make hell empty and heaven full which means our lives reflect Jesus as best as we can. I know we're not perfect, and I'm not asking you to be perfect, but I'm asking you to chase after that long-time goal than just try and get through what's here now because God wants to see heaven full, and you can be a part of that. As I've said in the past, listen, you don't know what God has intended for your life. You could share the gospel with someone. You could love on someone not knowing that it's gonna change their life forever. You could extend a gift You can go to a house and give a meal. You can be with them in a time of grieving. And when you do that, you don't know the impact you're going to make. But I can tell you this. 
Our goal is to fill heaven. So let's continue to do what we can to love like God. Because in verse 32, he says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiven each other just as Christ forgave you. That compassion, that love, after all the correction, he, again, he ends with a, ne- a positive and he says, don't, wor- don't do these things, but let's live like this. Let's chase after who God is, what God has for us. Because here's what I'm going to tell you. This is point number seven. Before I get to it and we put it up, don't put it up yet. Here's what I want to tell you. I was thinking about this point. And here's what I want you to take from this. We are challenged to live like God. And a lot of times the greatest challenge is shutting our mouths and living like Jesus. So here's point number seven. Let, God, let your love for God speak louder than your mouth. We can correct all day. I've been that person, I can see it. I've been that person where I can walk into a room and go, that's wrong, you should have done that better, could have done that better, that should have been quicker. I, I just know that about myself and I have to curb that. And I have to let my love for God play out greater than my desire to be right or to see it be perfect. Because here's the thing, our call is to build our lives upon Jesus. To build our church upon Jesus. I'm going to tell you this, Pastor Jason says all the time, Jesus is the head of this church. And we're going to do all that we can to chase after who Jesus is. But a lot of times, to show Jesus is just like our serve day yesterday. It wasn't about going out, staying on the street corner, and telling people about Jesus. It was going out and living like Jesus. Let your love be greater than anything else. Extend your heart, your worship, your love, everything to who God is. Because this is what he talks about when in this section when he talks about Christian living. Christian living is not about being right. It's about loving people for Jesus. And so I want to pray that we would build our lives and our church upon Jesus. That we would build our lives upon his truth. And we would build each other with all that we have. We hope that this message has spoken something personal to you. If you would like more information about our church family or service times, please call us at 303-424-2121 or visit us at our website, www.fbci.org. Faith Bible Chapel currently meets in our Family Worship Center, located on the corner of 62nd Avenue and Ward Road.